0: Turning your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to, uh, today, do something a little different. I'm going to go to the end of the sermon first, and here's why. We're a little tight today, we had so much in our service, and so I'm not getting as long to speak to you today. And, uh, you know, if you weren't here last week, go hear the, uh, you can actually go online to our website and hear that sermon and you'll get the first part of this sermon. Uh, and I won't have to repeat all of that. But uh, today, I'm going to take you to the end of my sermon. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Every time I come home from a trip like this, and then the last few years it has been India, um, you have, many of you have experienced my landing and coming back into the swing of things, which takes a while. I always come back. With my motivation, my motor is running so hot. I mean, I'm ready to go change the world. I mean, that, that's how you feel. I know how these girls felt when they came back. I want you to picture my being with them for that 10 days and then staying two more weeks. The week after they left, I went into Andhra Pradesh, a different state. Uh, it was a more remote area. Last year, I was the first white person many of those people had ever seen, and I had the opportunity last year and this year to train pastors in that region of the world and encourage them, train them, and then speak in churches. This time, they booked me more than I was booked last year. I stayed a couple extra days. Uh, it's an eight-hour train ride to get there, and I had crazy wild experiences. But I'm speaking in churches, going to children's drop-in centers, a high school I went to, and uh, and every day was just jam-packed with on-the-spot changes. So one day I walk into a service that's going strong, and I realize when I see the crowd, I have the wrong message. And uh, I told you this last week. And so I'm standing there with just a couple of minutes of worship left before I speak. And so I'm having to cry out to God, all oh, right, Lord, that's the wrong message. So you gotta tell me right now. And and I I mean, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this. What came out of my mouth was really a good sermon after that. Okay. It was, I mean, the Lord just showed up, okay. Um, another day I'm uh with a group of guys, and and this this pastor who was preaching that night uh was called out to something, and they said, Man, we don't have anybody preaching in the service tonight, you know. So there I am, you know, on the spot. Yeah. And I studied all afternoon and same thing happened. Walked into there. Now, this is the wrong message and had to turn around. Just be thankful that doesn't happen every Sunday morning at Life Church. But it was, it was a challenge. I spoke, taught, preached 38 hours in that three weeks' time. Most of that was in the second of the three weeks. And so, um, I, when I do that, you have to understand it's like my Super Bowl. I'm laying everything out on the line. It's not just the preaching or preparation. It is the emotional and spiritual uh, depth that you have to go to to pull that out. So that because, you know, God shows up and he shows up to people who are yielding and available and are crying out to him. And listen, you are crying out to God when you've got to preach that much in a day. Day after day, and so um, so I come away from that being stretched and pulled and challenged, and uh, and doing things that I didn't think I would ever get to do, going places that uh, where people are so hungry for the gospel, and just seeing really miraculous things, uh, meeting people who have experienced real miracles. I told you stories last week of the of the the guy who. Uh, couldn't read his Bible, but him, no, he couldn't read the new, the newspaper. But when he first came to Christ, he picked up the Bible and started reading the verses, went back to the newspaper and couldn't read it. Now later he learned how to read, but God miraculously gave him that ability so that he could, he could lead others to Christ in his village. Uh, I told you um, uh, many stories last week. I didn't tell you this. So there's a a man who... Uh, was from a tribe in Nepal. Nepal is not actually India. It's a nation right above India. you know where the earthquake ha- earthquakes happened and Mount Everest, which that represents right there for our vacation Bible school uh, this past week, Mount Everest is located. And back into the hills, there was a tribal community that was away from civilization. And there was no sign or sight of the gospel of Christ. One man came out of the community down the mountain for something. He came to Christ. He went back to his community. And as he began to teach and preach the gospel, they were intimidated. They were, um, they were very uh, upset at him uh, for leaving their religious culture and they uh, decided to kill him. And so they brought him in, and then as they talked, they thought, no, we want a living witness here of why you should not become a Christian. And so they gouged his eyes out. I, I, I I know that hurts to even think about it. That man did not slide away into oblivion. That man, after he healed up, stood up and said this. He said, they only took my eyes. He said, I have my ears to hear the gospel. I have my mouth to preach the gospel. And his brothers were at the last week of the conference that I was at, where where we taught and trained 800 church planting pastors for a week. They had driven five hours. I'm sorry, scratch that. Five days to get to the conference. The conference was five days. Then they turn around and drive five days back to get back to Nepal. They came from that community. Their brother was the one who had had the persecution. And today, there are 400 believers in that tribal community, all because of a man who would not be denied his opportunity to step to the plate, be courageous, and lead people to Christ. Those are the, those are the kinds of stories. Those are the kinds of people that we were with and uh, just very humbling experience. I come back from trips like that, and you know, I get this question when I come back. Why not here? Why not? now? Why, why aren't we experiencing the same kinds of things they are—the miracles and the, you know, the 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 incredible work that they do? And a lot of these people are uneducated and and uh, have so little, and yet they're changing the world. India is—they uh, will try to stop Christianity, but let me tell you, it is too late. The momentum of what's happening there it's still small but it's powerful and growing rapidly and it's because of people like us who are partnering with them not because they need our help to you know live and they 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 you know they 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 take care of themselves but they do need our help in training and leadership development and so we support that and we have the opportunity to actually be involved in them all right so I come home and so I'm asking the question. I come home so pumped, man. I am ready just let me out the door and give me somebody, okay? Let's change the world. I mean, you come back like that. And this time I I said, "Lord, I need a little healthier approach." I mean, I, last year I came back and not that what I did was wrong, but I mean, man, I was I changed the mission statement. I just I let you have it for about 2 months. I wrote a brochure. I mean, I could not contain this thing, and uh, just just wanting to change the whole world all at once. So this, this year, I'm coming back with a little different perspective because I'm beginning to see where the difference is. I'm beginning to see what the problem is. and Not, not that Christianity is not alive in America. Don't you dare think for a minute that Christianity has, is dead or dying in America. You you hear statistics, I've given you some of them, but don't don't think for a minute that the powerful core of Christianity in America is not alive. It is and it's gaining ground, right? But it's true that we see a lot of things in other places we don't see here. So why? Why is that? Is it the cultural difference? Is it That the Eastern mind is more susceptible to spiritual things. Is that it? Is it persecution that, you know, because they're being persecuted, then they're going to step to the plate and they don't have a, they don't have a choice, but to be a strong Christian because they're being persecuted. And certainly that has a lot to do with it, I guess. I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that you could land here and I have thought through most of them. And yet I, when I study the Bible and I ask questions, when i'm there i feel like maybe we maybe are looking at the wrong thing because the twist that will land in our hearts is that it can't happen here that because what's happening there is not happening here that it can't now i read my bible and i have discovered a man named Peter who has um, who has in the book of Acts arrived at the highest of heights. I read to you Acts chapter 12 last week. And By the way, all of this is online at uversion.com. I put my notes there. You can get it right now if you went online with your iPhone. I've got all my notes there and you can go read it. But I've In that scripture, Peter is brought to prison, is going to die the next day. And so he does what any good person would do if they're going to die the next day. He decides to get a good night's sleep. I mean, this this guy, Peter, is is, uh, one spiritual giant. He is healing the sick and raising the dead. He's preaching a sermon and 3,000 people get saved. 5,000 people come to Christ. I mean, this guy is walking on a level that is almost unmatched uh, throughout the generations. And yet I look at him at that stage and then I go back to his beginning stage with Jesus. He was uneducated. He was a cussing fisherman. He was not, he was insignificant. He was not a born leader. He gave Jesus all kinds of trouble. Can you imagine walking with the King of Kings and rebuking Jesus. Peter rebuked Jesus. I mean, this guy was a handful and yet Jesus on purpose chose men that were like that. Those are the kinds of people I was around in India, people who were uneducated, who had very little to speak of. And, uh, and, and we would feel like we were far advanced maybe in many ways. And yet those were the world changers. And so I go back and I say, wait just a minute. Peter was not in persecution when he followed Christ and, and Jesus made him into the man he became. He wasn't under persecution at the time. Peter was not a spiritual giant. Peter was, you know, had a fishing business. He was normal, just like us. So what is the difference? What made the difference? And I've, I've discovered that the difference, and there are two or three places I can go, and next week I will go there. But let me just give you the nutshell. The difference is really twofold. First of all, realize that the reason Peter was being persecuted is that Peter caused a lot of trouble to his culture. The Christians were not persecuted because they were Christians. They were persecuted because they were bold. They were persecuted because they caused trouble. I'm not talking about, you know, trying to make trouble. I'm just saying they stood up for what was right and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. That's what got them into trouble. That's why they were persecuted, because they were bold, because they were confident, because they were were people of Christ who learned how to access his power. Then I go a little further and I think, now, where did that boldness come from? And we see a a Peter who was actually taken through a process that took him deeper and deeper and deeper into a relationship with Christ. Before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter experienced depths of commitment in ways that often we reject. He forsook all and followed Jesus. Later, he had to learn how to deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. There was a time, of course, of Jesus on the cross, and Peter denying him three times and facing his own failure. There's that moment where Jesus is looking him eye to eye and saying, Do you love me? Do you love me? you love me. And then that day when he was filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly stood where he was not willing to stand just a few days before and preach the gospel with boldness on the streets of Jerusalem. Peter was a man who was taken by Jesus into deeper places of commitment. And so that's a process. It's a life that we have to experience. And so I'm, I'm going to call you today to something. I'm going to call you to a deeper place. In order to reach the higher height, then we have to go to the deeper life. There's a call to something greater than who we are, greater than what we have our eyes set on. We have our visions for our life and what we think we ought to be doing to be happy. And that we end up with one of these little mountains over here. Okay. But Jesus, even before you were born, God, had a vision for your life. Jeremiah tells us that. Before you're in your mother's womb, there is a vision for your life. And that vision only God has. He won't even tell you exactly what it is. What he requires of you is not to look at the top of the mountain and see yourself. He actually is calling you to look to him, to keep your eyes on Jesus. And when we discover the true call to go deeper into our relationship with him, setting our sights on him and him alone. He leads us to that place where we are walking out the fulfillment of our own personal destinies. Doesn't matter how far off track you think you are. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It's amazing. I don't understand it. I don't know how he does it. But God actually is able to take you and move you forward into becoming that person that he's called you to be. That person is in Christ. And so keeping our eyes on Jesus is the key. It's always going to come back to a couple of things. It's always going to come back to a place of obedience. It's always going to come back to the place of prayer. If we're going to go deeper, we're going to have to pray. I'll give you these two examples and then challenge you to join me in a 21-day season of prayer. So uh, one pastor, church, I mentioned last week I went to, and he was fasting for 40 days. And I asked him about it, and he, he laughed, and he said, oh, my dad, who was there, founded this church 30 years ago on 40 days of fasting. We're talking water only. And he said, every year since then. My father and his boys and church staff and leaders have been fasting 40 days a year, every single year. This church is in India. It's a church of about 3,000 people in a city up in the state where I went to. Powerful things they're involved in and doing. And, uh, and, and, uh, And every year, all the people join in fasting in one way or another. And every year, he goes back to 40 days of fasting, water only. I, I am in the center, a ministry center, while I'm there in that other state. And it's an eight hour train ride. And I'm there alone with Indian leaders and uh, eating with my hands all week because they do. I'm not going to eat with a fork if everybody around me is eating with their hands. So I've got it down now. There's a certain way you do it. I'm just invite me to your home. I'll show you how to eat with your hands. Okay? And so for a week, I'm eating with my hands. There's no air conditioning. It's 100 degrees. It's, it's quite the experience. This guy who leads, the director of the center, is a young man, has, just, has, his, has his wife and a brand-new baby. They're first born. This guy is knocking it out of the park. He has this past year had 40 training sessions with pastors. We're talking about three days of training. And, uh, he's dovetailed and moved all this together so that he's actually had 40 of these trainings happening throughout the year. And he's been training pastors. Then, uh, this guy is cooking my meals for me and he's serving me and He's booking all these things for me and traveling with me and taking me there and, and, and uh, translating for me. And, and, and one day I just turned to him. I said, man, you have more energy and you do such an awesome job. I said, you tell me your secret. Here's what he said. He said, well, I roll out of bed every morning and I pray for an hour. I don't go wash up. I don't get myself ready. I literally roll out of bed and pray for an hour. Then i go get myself ready for the day. You know, I just, I don't even know if, if I even would know my name without getting a shower first. There is a place in Christ that is higher than where we've been. But the only way to get there to go deeper, And so I'm going to challenge you. I did not spend weeks developing this. I have It's not in the bulletin. I don't have some sheet for you to sign up. I'm just going to ask that you join me. Turn in Ephesians chapter 3. If you'll look at starting with verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. That I said this last week. Some of you weren't here If you were to uh, feel sorry for these guys who have been persecuted, and, and I've met many of them, laid hands on many of them to encourage them, and if you were to feel sorry for them, you might get rebuked because they know what that means. They know the glory that's associated with the tribulation. They know what it means to rejoice when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. These are men who have lost their wives and have been beaten and stoned and who have risen up from that and have planted 5 to 10 to 15 churches in the last seven years. These are powerful people. They know what that means. And here's what he said. For this reason, Paul says, for what I've just said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, no matter what side of the world you're on, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I want you to go home and I want you to get alone and meditate on that verse and repeat it 10, 20, 30 times. Slowly. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, to know that which passes knowing. That which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now to him, and this is our favorite part, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to challenge you to 21 days, 21 days of a deeper life. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm using the outline that Paul just gave us. And so I'm, 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 you know, adjusting these words to fit what I'm calling you to do. I'm actually asking you to do four things, four questions I want you to answer. The first question is, what is the width? The width. What verse is that? That is verse 18. What is the width? Here's the way I'm going to lay this out. Ask yourself the question, how do I create space? to have more time with God. Maybe you don't have a daily time. Maybe you have a time that's so long. I'm, I'm challenging you to increase the space of your time with God on a daily basis. How can I do that? Answer that question. These are questions, you, this is a test. When you come back next week, we're going to make you, no, I'm, I'm too, When you come back next week, I may have you fill out something that says, here's what I heard this week. Not that, you know, we're not going to use your name or anything, but give us an idea of what God is saying to you. I know some of the things he said to me. Number two, what is the length? So I'm going to challenge you to think about your day. Not just the early morning, not just one moment with God or ever how long, but what about those moments when you just feel totally disconnected. Do you know how to praise him in the midst of a problem? Are you memorizing a scripture too that you can hang on to and quote at the right moment? At the end of the day, are you giving thanks or are you falling into the oblivion of a television program until you fall asleep? How do you take the length of your day and give it to God? It's not without challenge. The length the depth. How can I go deep? What does that really mean? I'll touch on this next week. But what does it really mean in my relationship with God to go deeper? So when you do have that time with him that's alone, ask yourself the question, how can this time be more quality? What would I do to be more focused? What would I do to, and it might be some practical things like journaling or writing things out. It might be that you're going to meditate more focused on a scripture. It, 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 I, there are other things that you can do, but I, and it goes beyond the activity itself. How can I go deeper in my relationship? Maybe you've heard about this being filled with the Holy Spirit thing, and, and man, my, I'm just hungry to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what is it that will cause you to go deeper in your relationship with him? And then number four the height. What is the height? What is it that I'm really reaching for? What does the Bible talk about in this higher call that I have than, than what I have in my mind for happiness? You know, what is the higher call in my life? And coming out of that ought to be several answers, but the one that I want you to land with when this is all said and done is what is God calling me to do, to be a part of, to engage with that will require obedience in my life to change somebody else's life? What is the higher call? What is that ultimate being sold out to Jesus? What does that really mean? How do I give my highest height to him? So so answer, answer, those questions this week, I'm challenging you. Here's what I'm going to do. And this is a little risky because i actually, I would rather not tell you because it's can be a private thing, but because I'm your leader, I'm going to put it out there. It will both hold me accountable, but it will also give you an idea. I do not, I'm not asking you to do this, but I'm going to, in addition to my personal prayer time that I have every day, I'm going to give an hour to prayer. Now, I know that my, I have a little flexibility. Honestly, I'll have to get up earlier to do this. It's not like I have that time. But I'm going to give an hour a day to prayer for the next three weeks. Where it goes from there, I don't know, because I've not given, been given some big plan that I have laid out for you. All I'm saying is for the next three weeks, 21 days, uh, ask God. Those four questions. And then give yourself to an increase of the place of depth in your relationship with Him. That will translate into a higher call. Uh, that will end on Labor Day. I'm not asking you to fast, but you can if you want, whatever that means to you. But take the next 21 days and just give yourself to the question of how do I go higher? How do I go deep? That means how do I make it wider? How do I make it longer? Okay. And then let's learn together. Let's grow together. This is really, if I had thought of this on my own, it would have been a good idea. I didn't. This was God challenging me as I'm coming back, but it's actually a good preparation for the fall as you lead into the change of the season and the things that God brings you back to, uh, in the fall. So, um, so let's give ourselves to that. Now I'll, I'll close with this. Um, Last year, and I've, I've never seen this happen before. Uh, I've been to conferences. I go to things like that, and people stand up, and they'll say, I challenge you to do this. But we kind of go, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. But we never actually do it. Last year, at the end of the conference, where those 800 church-planting pastors are, uh, and we're speaking to them, the leader, Bobby Gupta, who's been here many times, Bobby stands up, and he's their leader, and he stands up at the end. The very last night of the conference, at the very end of his sermon, he says, I'm going to challenge you, and they hear it for the first time. He says, I'm going to challenge you to go home and to believe God for worshiping communities. In addition to planting churches, I want your families in your churches to start worshiping every day together And then once a week, invite their community friends to come and join them for worship. And that was it. He challenged them and the conference was over. And I thought, well, that was a great idea, man. I mean, nobody's going to actually do that. You just mentioned it once. There's no brochure. There's no, this year we go back and they stand up and announce, we just want to give praise to God. This past year, as you followed through on that, You planted over 3,000 worshiping communities. 3,000. They just heard it as a suggestion, if you will, at the end of a sermon. All I'm asking you to do is take three weeks and say, Lord, take me deeper. What does that mean? If if we want to go higher and we want to grab more of what God has, it's going to require both. But that boldness is not going to come without us going deeper. It's a call to prayer. It's a call to Jesus. Let's stand together.